And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm just trying to follow a process and, you know, I, I find that the more and more I do this show with you, the more and more I learn about that process. And I'm talking about the software development process associated with the software development lifecycle process. How about that? I'm ready to get some shit done this week. Let's write some code and let's get some shit done. You ready? You're going to write code here during the show? Yes, we're going to we're going to commit some code, check it in, do some pull requests. We're going to get it all done. I have a better I have a better set of advice for you and that's that you should know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by fullscale.io cuz hiring software developers is different is difficult. I almost said different. It's difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage the team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Matt, they, Fullscale, we, we can do that. We'll do the code for you. It's amazing team we have, you know, of almost 300 software developers. So <laughs> Crazy. if you need help, you can yeah. help. You know, what was awesome is not to get off topic here, but today was outreach day at Fullscale, which is a company holiday that we've created and we encourage and set up volunteer efforts across the Philippines where most of our employees are. We had, man, oh my God, there were so many people out doing amazing stuff. I think it's important to make a great foot, leave a, uh, a good footprint and, uh, you know, do something great in the community you're in. And, you know, we've always felt that way about full scale and being global citizens. Dude, we donated solar panels to schools that are off the grid and have power issues, coastal cleanup, tree planting. Dude, we even adopted an eagle. Wow. That was an incredible amount of community service that was done. A lot of work. Insane. Sometimes giving away stuff is a lot of work, you know, but we did it. We did it. And dude, we get get to name the eagle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I suggested Watson. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) We'll see. Probably going to put that out too. But anyway, back to the show and, I was just so proud. I felt like I needed to share that. So this episode's actually coming out on September 16th, uh, but outreach day was August 26th. You can go to the Startup Hustle chat on Facebook. I posted about 50 pictures of everyone doing stuff. Cheers to our team at Full Scale. All right, Matt. So here we are in the fifth of eight episodes in a series about the software development lifecycle. We've talked in the on. August 19th, we talked, did just an overview about what the whole thing was. 826, we talked about planning. 92, talked about defining requirements. Last, uh, last week, we talked about design and prototyping. And now it's time to talk about software development. I think this is probably everyone's favorite part of the entire process. Do you agree? Well, but I think it goes to show with the previous three episodes, the amount of work that needs to be done before you get to this step. 
And this yep. step can only be successful if the last three steps were done really well. Or if you've got somebody who's like a super ninja that can do all of that shit at the exact same time, which is like a unicorn. That person would have to have a remarkably strong grasp on a lot of stuff. I mean, what you like call the, I mean, it'd almost have to be like the founder. That's what you call the 10 X developer. That's why they're a 10 X developer. Is it, is that a thing? That's them. Okay. They can do it all. Surprised. Is that kind of like a five tool player in baseball? Like the guy that can like hit, throw, cat, like run power average, all of it. And hit grand slams on demand. Yeah. I like it. So Matt, <laughs> what happens in the development stage of this process? Well, it's time to get to work, right? It's time to write code. Now, maybe you did some some coding in the, the design and prototype phasing, right? But it could have been different people. So depending on the organization, you might have some some developers that are doing architecture work and, and prototyping and um, some, you know, POC, proof of concept work. And then now maybe it's time to bring in the rest of the team and say, you know what, we've done a little research. We understand kind of what we're doing. We've got some proof of concept, but now we got to flush this thing out. we got to really build the whole project. And um, I mean, like, you know, back to the example of building a house, it's kind of like, hey, we, the architects have done all the designs. We've got all the blueprint blueprints. It's time to get to work. What about just the general setup? You know, like, I think that's something that can be overlooked. And, you know, we talked about defining requirements, designing and prototyping. But one of the things that I think a lot of people don't either think about or take into consideration, especially when it comes to the product roadmap and stuff, is that, like, there's a lot. For, if, you have a, if you have something new, you have a lot of shit to set up. I mean, there's servers and you've got repositories. You got to get people on the same page. You know, there's there's something to be said about that. Now, if you've got an existing project and you're moving forward on something new, then that is probably a lot more stable. But it's sometimes that framing and plumbing of a project that can slow it down. And, you know, I mean, it, it can take a little bit. It can take a couple of days or some, hopefully not longer than that to get to get things moving. Well, for sure. It, it's different if if you're like, hey, we already have this this product and we're just doing a new project, writing a new feature to it, right? Versus like, it's totally greenfield. We have nothing and we are starting from the ground up. And and the reason it's harder is to your point, it's like, hey, we don't have like a code repository. We don't know how to deploy this thing. We have no security model. We don't, you know, users have no way to log in. We have no way to say what they have access to. We like, we don't have a database. We don't have Microsoft Azure, AWS setup. We we're missing all the plumbing, all the infrastructure, all the groundwork. It's all gone. We we have none of it. And so yeah, it's a lot more work to figure all that out. But sometimes that's also when it's a lot of fun, because um, a lot of developers honestly don't get to do that. They they usually join something that already exists, and they're working within that kind of like sandbox or playground that that is kind of defined what they can or can't do. And it's actually kind of fun to be able to do something from the ground up, but it's pretty rare. Some developers are lost during that process too, though. I they mean, are. There are definitely there are definitely people that get that side of software more than others, and there are some people that. And you know what? I think if you're managing or running a team, ask the people working on: Are you comfortable doing this? It's kind of a pain in the ass, if I can be honest with you, because yeah, that's I'd why I like, said, "Hey, yeah. we already have all this stuff set up." And you're like, "Hey, I just need to yeah. go create this new page, and you know, there's some input fields, and I write some database queries, and it submits some data, you know, does whatever it does." 
and like, oh, to do authentication, I just add one line of code and it handles all the security for me and like all the stuff just works. And it's like just magic, baby. Versus if you're starting from scratch, like, yeah, <laughs> none of that exists. You know, it's it's a whole different world. How do you know when you're ready to like write code and see stuff? Well, so as you start, if as you talk about kicking off a new project, um, forgetting, you know, if it's a brand new app or an existing app you're working on, the first thing you got to do is start with some basic planning, right? And, and we've talked a lot about planning at a high level and we've talked about design at a high level and, and, but it, 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 this is where the rubber meets the road and it's a different kind of planning, right? This is like, okay, we're in Jira and, or whatever the tool is, pick your tool. And it's like, okay, we got to figure out like the story points and all the detail work, like the really low level planning. So we had a great episode about high level planning. First thing you got to do when it comes to software development now is, is getting into the low level planning. How do I translate those requirements that I got to how are we actually going to do this and who's going to do the work? And, you know, the bozo that gave me the requirements and design didn't understand how any of this shit works. And now I got to go like tell them that whatever crazy design they have isn't actually going to work and may have to redesign the whole damn thing. That's like the first step. So now this is typically, this is also where you're going to begin to run in to the first quote, real problems of building software is the actual software development part of the process. And there's a lot of stuff that can go on. And, you know, I found a, I found a list that was published on Forbes that was related to this. So I'll give them credit for this, but it, it really said it. Uh, said it well. So, you know, this is where you're going to, okay, integration issues. I think we should talk through every one of these points a little bit because it's actually a really good list. Yeah, it is. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. And normally so, we just steal your list and don't give you credit. So congratulations, Forbes. Thanks for the list. But so yeah, integration, integration issues, issues yeah. is yeah. a great example. So at, at the company I work at right now, we're doing integrations with, with Google AdWords and Google API and all this stuff. And it's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. And and not too hard to work with. But I've had other projects before. I had a project back at my Vin Solutions days that was with some uh, finance, um, like credit application approval thing. And they were using some weird ass technology that required this weird ass encryption and all this stuff. We spent like three months trying to figure out how to integrate with this thing. It was a total disaster, total shit show. And luckily today, most integrations are more standardized. People just use JSON, API, like REST, like pretty simple stuff to work with. But sometimes integration issues, they, they seem simple, but can turn into a total nightmare. You just never know. Yeah, I think this is when it, anytime you have to integrate something with something else, I think it also is very difficult to predict how long that's going to take. Yeah. And, and, it, and sometimes it could be like, oh, we need to integrate with this thing. It seems easy, but it's like, hey, we need to call that API like 10,000 times a minute. Uh, and it's really slow and that's not going to work. Like we have to or figure they out. Won't, how to, or they just won't let you. We have to figure out how to do this in a batch. <laughs> like how do we take all 10,000 of these things and make one call? And they're like, oh, well, our <laughs> interface doesn't allow that. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. And, and, that's, and that's the problem you run into, right? Like you're in the design planning, you know, executive team has this great idea and we're just going to integrate with this partner. Okay. All sounds great. But then you get to the development phase and the engineers start really digging in and immediately they find problems like this. They're like, this, this is not actually going to work. And it's inevitable. That's what happens. 
Next on the list, communication breakdowns. And I just gave you an example of one, right? It's yeah. it's all about communication around planning and getting the product team and the executive team to communicate with the engineers about what are we doing? How is this supposed to work? Why are we doing this? The requirements, getting them to understand all the details of all of it. Because if the, the littlest things you don't communicate make all the difference, right? Like you may work on a project, but you didn't tell the, the engineers like what users can log into the system and have access to this thing, right? And then you you dump that on them at the last minute. And they're like, oh shit, now I have to go back and rework all these things because of security, because no sort of security was implemented or whatever. Like whatever it is, communication is really key. And that's the thing we've always talked about on this podcast, that so much about software development is communication. That's why we have stand-up meetings every day. That's why you write, write requirements. That's why you do planning. It's all about communication. I quote you on that a lot. Yeah. I do. And, and I don't make a habit of quoting you all the time, Matt, but that's one of, that's one of your Hall of Fame quotes. All right, next on the list is, is uh, one of my favorite mess-ups that occurs. Uh, and I say favorite, like I see it a lot. It's uh, it's actually not a favorite. I wish that people were better about this, but unrealistic or mismanaged timelines. And you heard me on the first item of the list talking about how you never know how long it's going to take to integrate. I think that unrealistic timelines uh, cause a whole lot of problems in any project because, I mean, it's one thing to be able to, ha to have an ambitious target. It's another one to be completely unrealistic with it. All right, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. This should Do happen it. to me this week. Do it. I get dumped on my lap Monday that we have this important project that needs to be done in September. And by the way, it's the last week of August. I'm like, oh, we have to have this done in September. And I'm like, how did I not know about this? I, I'm in charge of product and engineering. Like, I should know about all this stuff. And I asked them, like, how long have you guys been working on this? They're like, since April. I'm like, you've been talking about and planning this thing since April. And you told me the last week of August that I need to have the engineering team build this next week? Are you kidding me? But, but that's what happens all the time. It happens all the time. And the, you get these crazy, like, I always blame the sales team for all this shit. The sales team always goes and shell, sells a bunch of shit because they don't have to deliver any of it. And then they dump it on the engineering team. And we have to miraculously like move mountains to get these deals done. Back to communication being important. Well, I, th I think this occurs too, when non-technical people set the timeline right they don't really know how long it's going to take yep it becomes hopeful two weeks and just because, yeah just because you want something done well you have some people that always said that this should take two weeks this two should weeks. take like two weeks shut it shut it two weeks shut it all right next on the list this is a good one feature overload well there's two there's two parts of that i'm part of that is you know giving the the team too much shit to do in general but Feature overload also to me is just complexity, like just making things too complicated. Like think about Twitter and like you can't edit a tweet. You can't schedule a tweet in the future. Like you can't post, uh, you know, a tweet with more than one message or whatever, right? Like if you add all those features, all of a sudden it gets way more complicated, right? Versus making it really simple. And so the, the complexity of the, the features and functionality that you build is important. And, and we've talked a lot about this in the past about Gigabook, right? Like scheduling sounds easy, until you try and handle 50 different scenarios with all these levers and switches and options and things and workflow and events and all these things that can happen. And it just gets so complicated that maybe you never get the project done because you made it too complicated. Yeah, that's not uncommon at all. 
And that, that goes hand in hand with the next item on the list, which is underestimating the task at hand. And that's kind of back to a timeline yep. issue, or I think that in this particular regard, um, some things are far more complex and some developers are ready to handle or understand. And that comes back to the skill level of the developers too, right? Something that can be really simple and trivial for one software developer can be the most complicated thing another developer has ever worked on in their entire life, right? And, and that's why at full scale, we mostly hire senior developers, right? Because senior developers usually can take those complicated tasks and they can figure them out. But imagine back to, we always talk about Tom Brady and the interns, right? Imagine give them the most complicated project to the intern who is never going to get the shit done versus having Tom Brady just take it and throw it down the field. Done. Spike that's it. The new, that's the new name of my band. That's what we should name the Eagle. Tom Brady. Tom Brady and the interns or just name him Tom Brady. Tom Brady. If anything, I'm going to name him Patrick Mahomes. All right. Mahomes. Not necessarily, but no, but Tom Brady and the interns is a great name for a band. I'm going to put that out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, when it, you know, another, another thing that breaks down a lot during the software development process is the people that are requesting something be built don't adequately define, explain, or demonstrate why, like the why of the outcome. And I'll just tell you right now that people have a much easier time building something for you when they understand why it's important. And it's kind of like what it does. Uh, it's, it's goes a little beyond why it's, you know, if I understand the utility of something, I think it makes it easier to build it rather than just trying to follow step-by-step -step instructions to create something that you have no clue what it should be doing. You know, I think a good example of this would be for me to go tell my wife tonight that we're, we're going out tonight. And if I don't tell her like why we're going out and where we're going, the way she dresses and plans for the night would be totally dramatically different, right? Like what she would wear, makeup, does it take three hours to get ready or five minutes? And the why, the details about why we're doing this, where we're going, like what we're trying to accomplish is so we're with all of it. It's so important. And I think that's a good example of like, how long is it going to take us to prepare for what we're going to do tonight? Like it, it, it's just a little detail that makes a big difference. Why won't it take you longer to prepare? Uh, five minutes, I'm ready. It doesn't matter. Yeah, me too. All scenarios. My wife gets, she'll get so, she gets so mad at me about that. She's like, it must be easy being a guy. I'm like, it is. Yeah, Suit and tie or sweatpants. Can you, can you quit, quit focusing on me and keep getting ready and this will go much faster. <laughs> that doesn't land well either. either. Okay. So, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about at all during this whole series, this whole process or any of that, quality assurance underestimating the importance of QA. Now yep. look, I'm, this is my soapbox. Keep developers developing, keep testers testing, keep designers designing, keep writers writing, keep salespeople selling, do this stuff at your business, which by the way is hard. It is. It's, it's fucking hard. Like I feel like I spend most of my day trying to do that. Get back in your lane. You shouldn't yeah. be messing with that. Don't worry about that. That's a tomorrow issue. We're worried about today. Why are you even doing that at all? But yeah, but the QA. So people will say to me, this is a, one of the red flags that 
shit people say to me that makes me think you have no clue what you're doing. Well, shouldn't the developer be quality testing it himself? You know, yes, but it's, yes. it's no different than anything else in life where like you ask your kids to clean the room and they just don't clean it quite the same way that you would do. And you would walk in and immediately see like seven things I didn't do right. It, it, it's they should, they should test their own stuff and, and they do, but they just don't do it to the same level as having a third party perspective come in and who's, who's, who has never seen it before be like, okay, I'm going to break this thing. And the good news is we have a whole episode about this next week. Yeah. And that's a big one. Okay. Next in line, feature creep, also known as scope creep. <sighs> you know, it's like yeah, we're trying to launch it. this it. thing. Do that again, Matt. Do that again. <sighs> Yeah. We're trying to launch this thing next week and you keep coming in every damn day with another idea and more shit that has to be done this week, but I'm trying to ship it next week. Like stop. Let's just let's get this shit done and out the door instead of changing shit nonstop. It's inevitable. It's what happens. You gotta eat the elephant one bite at a time. All right. How about defining the target audience that your software will be used by? This is, this is an overlooked yeah. one. And once again, like this list from Forbes, we're kind of just like looking for our own stuff. And we found this and I was like, this is really great. They nailed list. It. It's a great they nailed list. It. Yeah, they nailed it. So, you know, not defining your target audience, like who's going to use this? Well, just think about it. When you're building software, I could be building software for like my three-year-old on an iPad mm -hmm. or in my case at, at my company, a 65-year-old plumber. Yeah. Totally different, different user. Totally Way different. different. Right? Way different. Th that's the thing with software. Who the target user is can be very different. If they're uh, of, is it mobile? Is it, are they, are they sitting at a desktop? You know, all of it, it all matters, you know, just from age and generation and level, you know, how, how good are they at using technology and, and all of that? Like this. You need to understand it. Now, there's one more item on this. There's one more item on this list, and I think it's more related to more like the overall thing. You talk about, they say, underestimating the demand. Now, this is more of a business side of things. And or it an actually architecture leads, problem. It, yeah, it actually leads to, it actually leads to, well, but it can also just lead to the, I think it's a business thing in general, like, and this is why a lot of uh, you can talk about underestimating the demand for a feature for a whole lot of different things. But, you know, like I said, that's the only that's the only item on this list that is a little uh, out of out of the lane, in my opinion. But when I hear underestimating the demand, I think it means for your software platform in general. And, you know, that's the number one reason that that startups fail other than running out of money, which is kind of the obvious reason for all of them. But that's uh, you well, know, it's an important topic. It's an yeah. important topic because it it we've talked about this, I think, in other episodes. Planning of scale, like performance and scalability is potentially where, where you run into this, right? Underestimating the demand. Like, are we going to launch this thing? Or are we going to have 10 users or a million users? And the problem is if you plan for a million and you spend like a whole bunch of extra time, but then you only get 10, you like wasted a bunch of time. But if you don't plan you know at least some of like hey we could have like millions of users and we need to keep that in mind of like how would we rapidly figure out how to support that it's just something you have to keep in mind 
No, I agree. You know, if you're looking to find expert software developers, it doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. All right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. Like having a reliable software team is crucial. I mean, obviously, we'd like to talk to you if you're trying to build one. Once again, fullscale.io. But Matt, what are what are some tips? And I'll give a few on hiring people in highly technical positions. Hiring software developers is hard. Let's be honest, right? Now, Fullscale, we've, we've hired a lot of them. But we only hire 2 or 3% of the ones that apply for a job, right? Yeah. And one about 1 in 30. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And, you know... You sit down with somebody and they tell you, oh, I've written .NET code for 10 years and I've done this and I've done that and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, when you hire them and it's actually time for them to start writing code and reading requirements and figuring out how to architect things, it's really hard to know if they're going to be good at it or not. It's just really, really, really hard to hire software developers. And that's that's one of the great things about working with somebody like FullScale, right, is they do a good job of, of hiring people and vetting them and have employ have people that have worked on other projects and you have a better idea, you know, from they've, they've had this employee for a while. So they have a good idea that they're, they're good at what they do. And, you know, if it's a 30 day commit, so if they don't work out, it's like, you know what, for whatever reason, this just wasn't the right kind of project for them. And that, that's the other thing to talk about here, right? Is you have some developers that they love working with one particular programming language, or they like working with databases or they like doing front end work, or they like just doing architecture work. They just love to write diagrams and Visio and do all this architecture work, but they don't actually like to write code. You get people that love to do just different things. And that's part of the problem too, is just lining up the personalities to the right type of work you have to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, when it comes, I think that it's the passion thing, you know, right. some people are, are very, some people are very passionate about, well, technology and software development and what they do. And then I think, you know, it's like you mentioned like the lining people up for that kind of stuff. Uh, just ask them, what do you want to do? You know, there, you have this, di di this dividing line that many developers put uh, uh, in their own resume. They say, hey, I'm a front-end developer. I'm a back-end developer. Don't hire someone that says I'm a front-end developer expecting them to do a bunch of back-end tasks and like it or maybe even do it well. I mean, there are a lot of these folks define what they're doing. You know, at Fullsco, we've created about, we have about four dozen certifications that we use to uh that we use to to gauge someone's technical skill but that's only part of the overall picture you know with that you want to look at uh experience and are they do they have direct experience related to what you're trying to hire them to do you know like uh, do they have industry experience once again are they passionate communication skills uh, do they want to be a leader or be on a team? And that, that's a question we asked during interviews because someone that doesn't want to lead a team, don't put them in charge of a team. You know, and there's other things. Mm -hmm. It's just like your attitude towards things like because there's a lot of feedback and a lot of communication. And there's, a you know, as a developer needs to have some thick skin in some regards, the same way that like a graphic designer would. You know, it's about creating for the, it's about hiring people that create the things that you need and want, not necessarily what they need and want. And, well, the, it, and some people get real hurt about that feedback. They get upset about it. 
Well, the, the problem is when you go to hire somebody, you're never going to find somebody that has the exact skill set that you want. It'd be like asking somebody like, what do they want in a future spouse? And they, you know, rattle off these 25 things of the perfect spouse. And like, you're not going to get 90% of them, right? And hiring people is the same way. You're not going to find somebody that has the exact experience with the exact industry. And they did this exact database and this exact front end framework and all this with this exact cloud provider. Like you're, it's not going to happen. What you've got to do is find somebody that has mostly, you know, the right kind of, it's like, Hey, they've done a lot of front end development. They've got a lot of experience with Angular and Vue. Maybe I'm using some other framework and they can learn it. I, I, you know, I talk to them, they seem bright. I'll give them a couple of weeks. I'll give them a month. They'll get up to speed. They'll figure it out. Cause you're just never going to find the right exact person. And there's going to be some on the job training. It's just, it's just part of the deal. Now, if you only want to hire somebody for one month to do a project, then yeah, I guess you got to find the exact right person. But if it's a position that's going to be around for a long time, there's going to be some on the job training and you're just going to have to accept that. Yeah. And that I, I agree with you as well. So all right, next topic. What do you do when you discover new requirements like in the middle of the trip? You know, this is why agile development exists, right? Is you've you've got to do some work and every every week or two continue to adjust based on the work that has been done, the new findings. Um, versus the old style of this was more waterfall waterfall development, right? You'd write all these requirements and all these detailed specs. You hand it off to the engineering team. You tell them good luck and be like, okay, six months from now, bring it back to us, right? Versus now it's more agile. It's like every couple of weeks, we're making slight adjustments to, to, the, to the direction that we're going. And in software development, it's inevitable. I mean, like I'm remodeling my house today and we're, and it's no different. Like, they're going to install the, the base molding trim around the bottom of the room, but then realize they put the cabinet too close to the wall that the base molding is not going to fit. Like you couldn't open the drawer. Like it's software development the same way. You run the same kind of shit every single day of like whatever the designs were, you figure out like it's just we're just not exactly going to work that way. And we're going to have to make some changes. And sometimes those changes could be no big deal. Not going to add any time at all. Or it could be like weeks. It's like weeks of work that were just added all of a sudden. And that's why you have to, to go into this kind of knowing that it's sort of controlled chaos. That's just software development. And it always, like we always joke, takes twice as long as you think it's going to take. And it costs twice as much money as it's going to take. Because it's just part of the deal. Well, I think with this kind of stuff, you really need to ask yourself, like, is this a vital right. pivot or change? Um, it's really easy to like want to, you know, like you think about pin the tail on the donkey, you know, you ever played that game and it's just like, do you want to just keep pinning things on blindly and, and kind of aiming for a solution or like, do we need to do this now? Cause you know, kind of like Matt was talking about, there's, there's a lot of things in this process that, that have down downhill effects that yep. are going to affect other things that you're wanting to do. They could affect other parts of your timeline and, you know, the, the real question, and I've made this mistake before, is I think you just got to ask yourself, like, are we overbuilding this? And if you are now, look, there's oftentimes things come up and you're like, wow, okay, we didn't think of that. And I think you're pretty much guaranteed to have that situation if you're doing something new. I, I, I'm, I would be, I don't know if I would, if someone told me that they built something complex and that they didn't run, that they anticipated everything ahead of time. I'd wonder if they were telling me the truth. 
Well, we talk about this a lot and I feel like one of the most important things is learning to say no. It's learning when yeah. to draw the line of like, you know what, this is good enough. The product is good enough. The the design, the requirements, like we built a good product, let's ship it. Instead of just continuing to change things, make it more complicated and, and over and over and over. And honestly, one of my favorite things that is always stuck with me when, you know, so-and-so is like, oh, we have to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, so what? What if we don't? What's going to happen? What is the worst thing that will happen? We lose that customer. Okay. Well, what about the other 99% of our customers that they don't need this thing anyways, right? And that's why we always talk about products like Twitter or something. It's really simple. It only does one thing. They didn't try and do a thousand different things. They tried to focus on one thing. And that feature creep and complexity, as we talked about earlier, is usually what kills products. They become so complicated and full of all this shit that nobody even cares about except like one customer or one executive that had this crazy idea that the, you know, the vast 80% of your customers don't care about this anyways. And, and you have to learn to draw a line somewhere and say no. No, I agree. I agree. And these are uh, disruptive things, much like someone quitting or not being able to deliver on time. So like, um, you know, this is a, this is a big topic because uh, there's been so much news and so much news and headlines, especially in 2022, the great resignation, all these yeah. people are changing jobs and quiet I mean, quitting is you, the word I've heard now. Yeah. Well, I think you need to, it's, it's what? Quiet quitting was the word I heard recently. What, what does that mean? I don't know. People that just, you don't know that they're not happy. And then all of a sudden they're just gone. Oh, they just, they just kind of bail. They just, just yeah, of... just all of a sudden disappear. They don't, they don't complain about anything. They just, all of a sudden they're gone. Okay. I think that's always been a thing. Quietly quit. But yeah. So, you know, I think if you're going to, you, if you want to prepare for disruptions or you need, well, that's where some like mild documentation or like the understand, like you just need, you need to assume that that's probably going to happen and how are you going to handle it? And I think that that's by sitting down and having a little bit of a contingency plan for what happens and not having one person that is the only person that has the keys to the castle in certain places. And, you know, that's many people refer to that as the bus rule. Like if this person got hit by a bus yep. or won the lottery we, how, or yeah, or how would we deal with it? Cause yep. um, that comes up and you know, that's, that's something that's bound to happen. And you know, I mean, it really is. It, so, it, I mean, it is a huge problem. And I have been in this case many times where you have somebody really bright on the team. They're, they're like the architect, you know, visionary of this thing and we've got this complicated product and they're the person that understands how it all works they, they've been here for five years they know where all the bodies are buried they get an amazing amount of work done like if we lost that person we would be screwed and everybody has one of those people but the but you have to understand those risks and you have to figure out how to um transfer that knowledge to other people because it's inevitable that they're going to win the lottery or retire or something's going to happen eventually. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the one thing that there's only one thing I can promise you will occur and that's that things will change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. So look, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, you should let full scale help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. 
When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, then let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more at fullscale.io. Well, Matt, we're here at the end of an episode that's uh, about software development, and I think we laid a lot of stuff out. You know, thanks to Forbes for giving us a great list. I mean, we were working on our own and found that one. It was like, wow, what else will we have to say? I guess that would make me ask, what do we leave out here? Well, what I love about this episode is we didn't try and get overly technical in the weeds about writing code and how yeah. to get and do pull requests and all that stuff. That's a whole nother level of software development. And True. And- we didn't get into those technical weeds. I like that we stayed above that so that if you're an entrepreneur or, or, or business owner or whatever listening to this, that you can better understand just the common pitfalls of software development and the complexities of it. And I hope you can appreciate those. But yeah, there is a lot of detail in the weeds of like actually writing code and how people do that workflow on the process of the engineering. But I like that we're keeping it higher level. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there's, if we, this is one of those topics that's so overly broad. Yeah. I mean, we could probably have a whole separate podcast about it. I mean, like literally like that's all we talked about. And there's, I think that this sharing the common pitfalls is probably more beneficial to everyone listening than anything else. Uh, In some regards, just for your own sanity of knowing that, oh, I'm not the only one having this problem. But that said, enough people have had the issues ahead of you that you can prepare a little bit for that and have a little bit of understanding that, you know, hey, they're, they're called common problems for a reason. So, you know, there's, there's ways to be prepared or maybe lower your own frustration and anxiety level. I think that, you know, a lot of, I think, especially for the non-technical, if you're trying to lead a team or in that regard, I think that knowing that, 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 that list of things that we went through earlier, you know, when we were talking integration issues, communication problems, poorly mismanaged timelines, feature overload, also scope creep, you know, this is, these are similar things. I, underestimating what you might be able to pull off uh, the not explaining the why, uh, getting good QA, which we'll talk about soon. Um, and, you know, knowing your target audience and who you're building something for, if you're overlooking or I don't know, you're probably going to go through all that. If you haven't already, it's probably on the way. To me, it's all about communication. So much of all those things that that list, it it all comes back down to communication, communicating, why are we doing this? Who's potentially going to use it? Problems we could have. But one of my favorite things that we didn't mention when you're running a software development team is also telling them what we're not going to do. We're not going to do these things. You need to stay in these, you know, guardrails because and from my experience with a lot of developers, sometimes you give them a requirement like, hey, I need you to go build this thing. And they may just like really overcomplicate things. They grossly overcomplicate things. And sometimes I feel like the most important thing is telling them what not to do like giving them the very defined guardrails of like, you don't need to worry about this. Don't overcomplicate this thing. Don't think about that. This is not a scenario to worry about. Stay in these guardrails. And sometimes that's the most important thing to do. No, I agree. I agree. And you know, Matt, we'll, we'll be back next week to talk about the ever so captivating subject of testing. Oh God. My least favorite subject. QA people, man. 
See you next week. Next week. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.